You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Ah, can you feel it? It's the calm before the storm. Officially seven days away from the start of the 2017 college football season. Camps are opening up across the nation. Position battles are underway. Rich Sermonello, this is what it's all about, and I'm chomping at the bit for week number one. Yeah, what do you plan to do, Joe, on this last Saturday without football until January? I mean, this is exciting. We we will have football beginning next weekend, an early start to the schedule, August the 26th, and away we go. So I'm excited as well. Me too. Rich and I will have you covered for the next three hours, 9 to 12 Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific. We have a great show lined, lined up for you today at 924. We're going to be joined by Fox College football analyst, Charles Davis will get Charles's take about the SEC at 1024. We're going to be joined by Jerry DiNardo. We'll get coaches take about the Big Ten. But Rich, I want to jump right into it because there is breaking news across the nation. One of them is LSU Arden Key, defensive end for the Tigers, will not be available week number one against BYU. Georgia Tech running back Dedrick Mills suspended, kicked off the team, and now Florida will start their week one battle against Michigan, minus Antonio Callaway and six starters. Rich, this is intriguing developments for week number one. Yeah, I mean, this is that time of year, August, where you start to get news about players that are having off-the-field issues, whether that's injuries or personal problems in the case of Callaway and Dedrick Mills. Mills, for me, really is a big hit. I mean, off of last season, his first on the flats played really well as the B-back in Paul Johnson's triple off, uh, triple option offense. He was going to be the next star. I looked at him as a 14, 1,500-yard rusher, tough, punishing runner between the tackles. But he had problems, Joe, from the moment he got to Georgia Tech, just couldn't stay clean. Now another violation of team rules. So Georgia Tech is going to be thin at those key positions. A-back should be okay. B-back, which is the feature back in that offense, is going to be a problem. So now you got to start to look down the roster a little bit. Cervante Benson, Jerry Howard, another freshman. Howard has looked really good this month. But Paul Johnson's going to have to do some juggling in anticipation of that opener with Tennessee. Yeah, and that's where I was going. There is no margin for era they look to attack a Tennessee defense that allowed 218 rushing yards per game last year and four opponents to rush for over 300 yards Texas A&M Alabama Kentucky and Missouri so that's the matchup that you want to see play out week number one I think when you look at Florida Rich the loss of Callaway on the outside that's an intriguing development because you look at a Florida offense that was handcuffed in the second part of the season last year they did not have a rushing touchdown in the last six games last year they only averaged 100 128 yards on the ground. They're going to need to attack that Michigan secondary week number one, especially uh, minus Jabril Peppers and that outside linebacker crew. But we're just getting started. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Back on College Football Today, live from Studio 34, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, just kicking it off. We have a great show. We're going to jump into the Heisman Trophy odds, along with looking at some of the college games of the year. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter at Go for the Two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N. I-E-L-L-O. Rich, before we jump into the Heisman Trophy odds for 2017, I do want to stick on the suspensions. Mm -hmm. I really feel this loss of Arden Key, week number one uh, in Arlington, could be a huge blow for LSU. Put a lot of pressure on that front seven. If they can't generate a pass rush against Tanner Mangum, Mangum, he could really attack that secondary minus Jamal Adams and Tredavious White. Yeah, it's a fair point, Joe. If you look at the BYU offensive line, I think besides Mangum, that could be the strength of that unit. They have four returning starters. It's a veteran unit that I think will do a good job in pass protection. And then if you look on the other side of the ball, who is the scary pass rusher on LSU with the exception of Arden Key? I I know Christian LaContour comes back from injury. But he's not somebody that you're going to count on to collapse the pocket on a regular basis. So, yeah, LSU has a lot of speed, a lot of athletes. That's always going to be the case in Baton Rouge. But someone's going to need to step up, get around those tackles, get in Mangum's face, and disrupt his rhythm right now. LSU does not have a slam dunk bona fide pass rusher to complement an Arden Key, so that is a big loss for the uh, for the Tigers. I agree with you, and from the emotional aspect, when you have a team leader not playing in the week one matchup against a prototypical a prototypical dropback passer that set BYU passing records two years ago as a freshman, as a defensive player, you gotta they sort of let down a little bit, like, oh man, here we go, week number one, minus our mm-hmm. best player, and that's gonna be the matchup that Dave is gonna have to figure out against Coy Detmer, the offensive coordinator for BYU. It should be a very intriguing chess match that you want to see play out in that week one matchup, but let's Jump right Can I in. flip the tables? Can I flip the tables real quick on you, Joe, before we leave BYU LSU? The opposite side of that is BYU has its own significant loss. Francis Bernard, one of the more underrated linebackers in the country from a, from a linebacker core at BYU, which looked like it was going to be outstanding this year. He is going to redshirt in 2017 for personal reasons. So out of that BYU defense, in the middle of that D, no Francis Bernard. So the LSU offense with Matt Canada, with Danny Etling, and oh, by the way, with Darius Geis. Now, slowing down Geis without Bernard at the second level, that is going to be a big problem for Kalani Sataki and the BYU defense. Absolutely, and you're talking about a BYU defense that allowed 113 rushing yards per game, very solid in the front seven, so that's the matchup that you want to see play out in that ball game. I think that's going to be a very close game, even with... Arden Key in that lineup. I really thought that BYU mm-hmm. really poses some problems in that week one matchup, and now without their leader for that defense, we'll see how Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers fare in that week one game. But let's look at some of the Heisman Trophy odds uh, for 2017. A couple of front runners that I do want to jump right into are Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. 
Uh, Sam Darnold is the opening favorite here. He opened at five to one. He's now nine to two for 2017. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about a sophomore quarterback. He did win nine straight games after uh, that loss in his first start in Salt Lake City. You're talking about a guy that completed over 60 percent of his passes and did throw over 28 touchdown passes. He's got a great team around him, but it will, in my opinion, hinge on the success of the running game in Ronald Jones. Yeah, Ronald Jones is going to be key. So is going to be uh, Deontay Burnett on the outside. Uh, USC no longer has Juju uh, now in the NFL. Darnold's going to have to develop new targets. I don't think it's going to be a problem. Again, I've said it throughout the offseason. I think Sam Darnold is the real, the real, the real, the real deal. I think he's a legitimate NFL caliber quarterback, even at this stage of his career. Reminds me a little bit, if you want to kind of talk about the cerebral nature, just how he uh, handles himself, how he carries himself, kind of Andrew Luck-esque, if people want to do a comparison. I have no problems with Darnold. The struggles I have with him in terms of uh, him being a Heisman favorite is, I don't have a lot of faith in USC this year. I think they're going to disappoint. For me, in terms of top 10 teams, that's one of the programs that I look at and say, I see a couple of losses on that schedule, and if they lose a couple of games, fair or not, Heisman voters might step away from Darnold and look in a different direction. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I think last year they started 1-3, and and without uh, the pressure and expectations, they were a loose football team at the end of the year. And you can look at that Rose Bowl victory where they came uh, came from behind from a 14-point deficit to win that ballgame, 52-49. to But now the bullseye's on their back. This is a a team that is expected, Mm -hmm. for the most part, to win the Pac-12 and, more importantly, get to the college football playoff. I don't have them getting there, Rich. I have them at 10-2. and I have them losing in the Pac-12 championship game to Washington State. If that should happen, that can open up the door for another possible player in another conference. I will say this about USC. It it is, to me, going to hinge on the rushing attack with Ronald Jones because you look at last year, they had six games where they rushed for over 200 yards. They were 5-1 and in those ballgames and won those games by 24 points per game. The defense led by Cameron Smith stepped up against the better teams in the Pac-12, teams such as Colorado, teams such as uh, UCLA last year in the rivalry game, always a difficult game, and uh, Washington. That was the key matchup that they were able to dominate on the road. You're talking about a rushing defense that held six opponents under 100 yards and won those games by 20.5 points per game. But unless this team gets to the college football playoff, I can't see you or the voters handing the Heisman to Sam Darnold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially where the bar is. Again, I'm not saying it's fair, but everybody looks at Darnold, pretty much everybody looks at Darnold or maybe at Baker Mayfield as the favorites heading into the season in terms of the Heisman balloting. With the bar set where it is, I think people expect Darnold to carry that team to a playoff. Anything less than a Pac-12 title and a playoff appearance I think sometimes the quarterback bears a little bit of that responsibility. I don't think it's fair. I think he's going to be the top overall draft choice, assuming he comes out early next season. And I think he'll play exceptionally well. But if USC is on the outside of the playoff looking in, if they don't win the Pac-12, and I have Washington repeating as Pac-12 champs, 
I think Darnold's going to probably wind up in New York City but not win the award. I agree with you. I think he's there. If he puts up the numbers that he did last year, I mean, last year, 67% mm-hmm. completion percentage, 31 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, over 3,000 yards. Again, he has the numbers, but it's the expectations of the program, and we'll see yep. how it plays out. I'd be selling him right here. 9-2, to two, he wouldn't be my pick yeah. to win the Heisman Trophy. And I Agreed. know we're, we're going to be getting into it right now. It's Conor McGregor and Mayweather next week. Week, week number one of the college football mm-hmm. season. You know where I'm going next. Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma. He's there as a front runner, right behind Sam Darnold. We spoke about it off air. He's ten to one currently to win the Heisman Trophy. Rich, I'm going to say it right now. I don't care if Oklahoma goes twelve and zero. Baker Mayfield is not winning the Heisman Trophy. Couple of factors. I know he's twenty two and four as a starter. I know he led that team to a college football playoff appearance two years ago against Clemson, but the -the off-the-field issues, the arrest in Arkansas in March, and then that program with Joe Mixon and the negativity surrounding college football as a whole, Baylor. I mean, you look at these issues. Look at Florida now. I I just don't see Baker Mayfield winning the Heisman. I'm selling him at 10-1. to Yeah. um, Let me just set this up by saying that – I've worked in college football for 15 years. Joe Lisi is easily one of the brightest college football minds I have ever worked with. But in that last statement, you do not back it up, my friend, because there is a zero, zero chance that what happened in Arkansas, a public intoxication, there won't be a single voter if Baker Mayfield and the Sooners are 12-0 and and they've gone on the road to beat Ohio State. And he puts – the numbers are, are built into the package. I don't care who his skill position players are. He's been top five the last two seasons. Everybody knows who he is. There isn't a voter on the planet who is going to give a damn about a public intoxication that took place back in February. There is a zero chance of that. So if he takes care of business – the problem is going to be week two in Columbus. If they fall flat, he's going to have a hard time. He'll probably be top five again. He's going to have a hard time climbing back up to number one. But voters do not care. This was not domestic abuse, Joe. That would be a totally different situation. No. I'm not condoning public intoxication, but by December, absolutely nobody's going to remember it. It really doesn't really have to stem with the actual arrest, though, Rich. It has to do with the program, the, the negativity surrounding the Joe Mixon incident under Bob Stoops. But, Joe, he... I, I'm, sorry to, I'm sorry to cut you off, but, but Joe, the, public, uh, the Joe Mixon situation was in place last year, and he finished in third place. So it had no factor last year. I, I get it, but it had no bearing last year. It won't this year either. We're going to be battling in the next segment after Charles Davis. Stay with us. When we come back, Fox analyst Charles Davis breaking down the SEC. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34. going to turn our attention to a little SEC football. The SEC has made the college football playoff three straight years. What better way to talk about the conference than with a former standout player from Tennessee. He's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. Want to welcome in Fox College Football Analyst Charles Davis. Charles, how are you today? I'm doing well. Hope you guys are the same. Oh, thanks for joining us, Charles. Whenever I get you on the show, I have to start with good old Rocky Top. Last year, 9-4, and four, 
Uh, disappointing season for, for the fan base in Knoxville. Now they lose a ton on the defensive side of the ball. Jalen Reeves, Mabin, and Derek Barnett are gone, and offensive losses. What are your feelings about this team heading into, into the 2017 season? You know, I feel better about the program overall than I felt in a long time. Now, are they the favorite to win the SEC East this year as they were last year? I'd say the answer would be no. I think depending on who you are, you can pick Florida or you can pick Georgia. I think those two are clearly the top two and likely selections. Tennessee probably battles in there for third, although I'm hearing a lot of support for Kentucky at this time. So Mark Stoops has done a nice job of building a program there. But my point about the whole thing is it's a conference, it's a division, that no matter who you pick – it's not, a, it's not an overwhelming pick. It's not a runaway and hide pick. Tennessee was a consensus pick last year and should have won the division. You mentioned the word disappointing. They can use whatever words they want to to say that it was, and it was. All right, they had it in hand. Down the stretch, they lose to South Carolina and Vanderbilt, put them both in bowl games. Don't, don't win the division and even blow a shot at, at even going to the Sugar Bowl and play in Oklahoma. So, yes, there's a disappointment there. And I say that, Joe, as a guy that played on a 1986 Tennessee team that was picked preseason top 10. I think we were number eight in the country. At one point, we were two and five, finished seven and five. And I don't care how we finished. It was a disappointing season because we had more that we should have accomplished. But I do think that overall, the program is in, in, in solid footing. I talked to two pro scouts this week that, that visited campus this summer, and both of them said the exact same thing independent of each other. They look like an SEC football team again. The right, the right look at the right positions, the right guys. Whether that translates into a championship, who knows? But at least they have an opportunity now to compete, and that's, something, that's not something that we could have said a few years ago. So I give Butch Jones and his staff a ton of credit for putting them back on good footing. Hey, Charles, Rich Sermonello. Uh, hey, how you doing? Uh, oh, good, Charles. It's been a long time. Uh, yeah. SEC quarterbacks, uh, it's been an issue uh, for the yeah. better part of the decade, but I look <laughs> at has. those young kids, man, I'm excited this season. You look at Jalen Hurts, Jake Bentley, Shea Patterson, Jacob Eason, we can go on, Nick Starkle possibly at Texas A&M. Which of those kids, when you look back last year, really impressed you and do you think could kind of get on the tarmac and take off as sophomores? Well, Hurts impressed the heck out of me when you realize he's 17 years old. And I know everybody wants to talk about him being at Alabama, but it wasn't like he beat out a bunch of Humpties to become the guy there. He beat out five-star kids who are now at other places, right? So this kid coming as a 17-year-old, helping lead a team to the national championship, and, oh, yeah, he's the SEC Player of the Year as a true freshman. That, 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 that speaks volumes to me. Obviously, he has to work on throwing the football. We saw that in the national championship game. It's easy to throw the ball off of heavy run play action, Rich, as you well know, and then, then heave it deep, and the guy's open by 10 yards, and we go, wow, what a great throw. Well, it's a throw you shouldn't miss, right? But in the Clemson game, when you had to fit it in on third and five, third and six, third and four, make plays, that wasn't happening for them. That's where he had to make the leap in the offseason, and by all accounts, he's done a nice job. I actually saw him throw this summer, and he looks like a much better thrower. He's much more fluid. I saw Shea Patterson throw this summer, another impressive young man. Jacob Eason at Georgia, big-time size, has everything you're looking for. I'm not sure ultimately he's going to be the quarterback there. I think Jacob Fromm is going to make a real run at him, and I've talked to enough people around that program, and Jacob Eason's got to do some work to make sure that team wants to follow him. 
as opposed to following Jacob Fromm. So each of these guys has different things, but I'm with you on this. We have more young, talented quarterbacks there in the SEC than we've had in a while that could turn out to be dudes. Look down at Florida. They're talking about Malik Zaire being the starter, but Felipe Franks looked like he was going to be the guy beforehand, and people really liked him a lot. So we could go on and on, but I think your point is well taken, and I'm co-signing with you. I actually have some excitement about quarterbacks in the SEC <laughs> that I haven't had for a while. And don't forget, we didn't even mention Jarrett Stidham down at Auburn, yeah. the transfer kid from Baylor. Yeah, I, I'm going to go there then, Charles, because I, Jared Stidham to me is a guy that I, I was a system guy at Baylor, didn't have a lot of big game experience, now comes to Auburn with a lot of fanfare, a lot of expectations on this team, and I don't just see the uh, the offense as the issue. I look at the defense. They lose 12 and a half sacks with Montrevious Adams and Carl Lawson moving on to the NFL, and the secondary in the last six games that allowed 265 passing yards per game. I'm not sold on Auburn. I want to get your thoughts about the program. Well, I think that, you know, for, for them, they you mentioned, you know, not being sold for different reasons. They are using Stidham as kind of a touchstone about almost hitting a reset button, aren't they? But also we have to remember that when they came at us with their best, you know, Nick Marshall was running that offense. And he wasn't a, a super proficient passer by any stretch. He was more of a run guy. It'd be interesting to me to see how Gus Malzahn is going to manipulate that offense. Red Lash is going to manipulate that offense to fit Stidham because he can do some running, but that's not his forte. How are they going to do it with that? Look, bottom line in that division, a lot of people are picking them to be the team to challenge Alabama. I don't know who it is, okay? I think you can kind of put them in a hat and say, okay, which one's it going to be? Auburn? Is it going to be LSU? Who knows? Because to me, Alabama's clearly head and shoulders above not just the West, but obviously the entire SEC. Yeah, that that was exactly where I was going to go. Uh, you know, I hate to I hate to be uh, kind of spoiler alertish here, but is it again Alabama and everybody else? I mean, can anybody narrow the gap not just on the personnel advantages, Charles, but also that mindset? I love the way Nick has those kids hungry every year, despite the fact that they keep winning the SEC. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I, you yep. know, I mean, the three of us, we all know Phil Savage, right, who who runs yep. the Reese's Senior Bowl, former scout, um, former coach in the NFL. I was lucky enough that I got an advanced copy of his book, Fourth and Goal, every day, which he wrote about the Alabama program. I don't know if you guys have seen it and gotten it yet, but if you haven't, get it, read it. It really fits into what you're just talking about there, Rich, about the mindset. And that's where the title came from. That the way that they compete, the way they go at things, he got that title from talking to an assistant coach where he was talking about pressure or talking about something that, and the assistant coach essentially looked at him and said, well, you know how it is around here, Phil. It's fourth and goal every day. Hmm. And that's how they go about their business, and these kids get used to it. So it's not a matter of getting into those situations and all of a sudden getting confronted with something they haven't seen or felt or whatever. Their practices are so tough. I mean, you heard Ryan Anderson. Remember him, the ball magnet defensive end from last year, outside linebacker? He's in the NFL, so about how much easier it is to practice in the (laughs) NFL than it was at Alabama. And a lot of people wanted to shout him down, but I understood what he was saying because in the NFL, it's not going to be as taxing physically because they got to keep these guys healthy. At Alabama, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go you're gonna go to blows every chance they get an opportunity because he's gonna make sure you're ready to go and be physical and do what you can each and every time. So yeah, it's still Alabama and Chase in the SEC, 
But I think there's a misnomer going around the country that that makes it a weaker conference. I think what people are missing is while Alabama has elevated themselves above all the rest of the SEC, which doesn't seem normal because the SEC is such a dogfight, the rest of those teams fighting each other are still really good quality football teams that can compete with anyone else in the country. Everyone acts like, well, it's Alabama and the rest of the conference just stinks. I mean, you know, that came out of the, you know, the Big 12 really like to talk about that. And, you know, you know, the SEC is not this and not that. Okay, you want to keep, keep lining up. You want to keep doing it. The top-level teams are going to be the top-level teams. We know that. But these others that compete with each other, there's still teams that you're going to have to come and bring your game and beat. So, so let, let, let's, let's just put that, put that to bed a little bit, that the SEC is so down just because Alabama's dominating. It's just a dominate. Alabama's up there with the best there is in the country right now, which would be Clemson, Florida State, which would be, you know, um, which out in the Big Ten would be Ohio State. You know, without West now, right now, it looks like Washington, USC, maybe Stanford. You get the idea. The best of the best of the best, but the rest of the SEC can still play. Oh, Charles, I love the intensity. I love it. You, you, you're like me. You, you look like you could play tomorrow. Uh, strap it up. I love talking about the SEC. That's <laughs> what it's all about. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> but Charles, I want to talk about two guys that uh, won't be with their respective teams for week number one. You're looking at Antonio Callaway, wide receiver for Florida, that will miss that opener against Michigan, and then defensive end Arden Key for LSU in that battle against BYU yeah. and Tanner Mangum. I mean. Talk to me about those losses for both of those programs. Well, I'll start with Key. I mean, he, you know, he's had kind of a little bit of a tumultuous offseason. Remember, he missed a lot of time in the offseason for personal reasons and then was going to be back. And I'm telling you, you guys know the pro guys are eager to watch him play. And let's mm-hmm. face it, it's almost a factory at LSU, isn't it, for pass rushers and for, and, for, and for athletes on defense? It's kind of crazy. Every time it's a pro day there, I mean, the whole league is there to watch their athletes go through their paces. Key would be one of the <laughs> pun. Here comes your pun. Key guys that we'll be looking at coming up. So it's a big deal because BYU is going to throw the football. They're going to let you. You know, they're going to show you a lot of misdirection things. And Mangum's going to be able to hang in there and do it. You flip it over. Who's the other guy we talked about again? We're missing Callaway. Callaway. Oh yeah, Callaway. Look, can, can I just be an old school guy? Jim McElwain must know way more than the rest of us about this kid that the idea that you're going to depend on Antonio Callaway, there's something going on there. I I hope that he gets it figured out. I wish him nothing but the best. But from the outside in, and I don't know enough, and Jim McElwain could probably tell me that, I don't know enough, but I don't know that Antonio Callaway would be a guy that I would would have been depending on coming into this season, let alone another chance to be suspended. Yeah. Charles, it's always a pleasure when we get you on. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed it today. Hey, I enjoyed the heck out of it. You know, talking ball with you guys, please. That was a blast. You guys take care. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Of college football today, right here from Studio 34, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Great talk with Fox College football analyst Charles Davis. I love getting Charles on, Rich. The intensity, I mean, I could buckle it up with Charles right now. 
He got me pumped up for the SEC, but more importantly, very intriguing comments about Jared Stidham, and that's where I want to go next. He brought up Nick Marshall in terms of Nick Marshall's production under Gus Malzahn in 2013 when they made it to the national championship game. This was an offense that averaged 328 rushing yards on the ground in 2014. It dipped to 255. In 2015, they were at 196, but in their six losses, Rich, they were down to 158. They got it back up to 271 last year, and now they want to change the offense with a new offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey. Well, listen, I don't think they're going to do a night and day. I, I, I think when you have Cameron Petway, Kerryon Johnson, a physical offensive line that's really strong at the guard position, I, I don't think they're going to abandon the run. I just think we'll see more balance. And, you know, one of the things I've thought about this offseason is, you know, Auburn has done a nice job over the years of developing quality wide receivers but if you don't have the battery mate to get the ball out to those outside receivers their potential is going to be downgraded it's going to be muted but now that you have a passer like Stidham I think you'll start to see those athletic wide receivers develop kids that maybe we haven't had a chance to watch too much in the past couple of seasons Joe so I think Jarrett Stidham's going to be fine I'm not going to be all in to the point where I think Auburn's going to win the West but when you have a Chip Lindsey, when you have that backfield, the offensive line, he's got a little bit of experience, just enough from those uh, Baylor days at the end of his uh, first season with the Bears. I think Jarrett Stidham's going to be fine this season, but I agree with you. I'm a little more concerned about backfilling talent on defense. Well, here's where I'm going with this. He opened as a 50-1 to favorite in Vegas for a Heisman Trophy candidate, and he's down to 15-1. to You're talking about an offense in Auburn that over the last 26 games, Rich, two years, had only one game where they passed for over 300 yards. It came in 2015 against Ole Miss and Chad Kelly. I mean, he's got tough road games. You're talking about he has to go to Death Valley in week number two and face the Clemson defense. And people just think because he has experience, he's going to walk out of there with a W and I don't see it. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I haven't heard anybody say that definitively, Joe. I, I think people are just generally bullish about Auburn because they now have a quality quarterback again after struggling over the past couple of seasons. They not only have a quality quarterback, but they have some stability. The past couple of years, you know, is it going to be Sean White? Is it going to be Jeremy Johnson? They've been flipping back and forth. Now they go into a season knowing that this is our guy. He's young. I think he'll continue to get better. But I think he'll struggle in week two. I mean, against that defensive line of Clemson, against Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator, and all of those gobs of talent on the Clemson defense, turnover or not, I think he's going to have a hard time too. So in terms of the Heisman, I think his true Heisman bid probably ends in Death Valley on September the 9th. So we're both selling him at 15-1. to 1. I mean, I, I don't think there's any yeah, way... I, at fifty to one, I liked them. At fifty to one, I liked them. At fifteen to one, I wouldn't be doing. Yeah, it. I don't. I don't see it. I, I. I honestly think that Auburn is a mediocre, middle of the road team this year. They have, They might have a shot in a rivalry game at the end of the year after the offense progresses throughout the year and they gain some continuity. But uh, against Alabama, maybe they could strike an upset in, in the Iron Bowl. But I don't like Jared Stidham. And they did this experiment with Jeremy Johnson. Like, the good news is, is that if Stidham fails you do have Sean White on the roster that you can turn to 
But again, I'm not sold on Auburn overall. Let's turn our attention. We spoke about Mayfield. We can get back into it in terms of numbers perspective, Rich. I mean, he loses his leading uh, wide receiver in D.D. Westbrook that now has moved on with Jacksonville. He loses 75% of the rushing production with Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon moving on to the NFL. He does have his H-back slash tight end Mark Andrews but he's going to need some other players to help him out. Now, I like their chances in Columbus uh, against a vulnerable, in my opinion, Ohio State secondary. But I think he's going to have to run the table. To win the Heisman? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, listen, I, I, I don't think he necessarily has to run the table. I, I think he could lose that game and Oklahoma could rally, win the Big 12 championship. Uh, again, that's what happened last year. I mean, Oklahoma was horrible last season. They they got hot towards the end. In, ter- in terms of replacing skill position talent, I don't have any worries. Uh, Oklahoma it now has a system with Lincoln Riley where it's plug and play. Yeah, you'd like to have D.D. Westbrook, but you know what? This time last year, we were waxing poetic about Sterling Shepard. Who's going to replace Sterling Shepard? We didn't. We weren't even thinking about D.D. Westbrook. So I, I think someone is going to step up and fill that void. Could be Jeff Bidette. Uh, transfer from Kentucky, who was a big play kid, really could stretch the field. Could be Jeffrey Mead. You know, Mark Andrews will be in the mix. I, I think in in terms of the backfield, if, if Rodney Anderson is healthy and he hasn't been early in his Oklahoma career, maybe he's not Pirine, maybe he's not Mixon, but I think he could be a big time back in that system. So the numbers are baked in. Don't worry about the numbers; those will be fine. People love Baker. They know Baker. Uh, they like his story, former walk-on, had issues with Cliff Kingsbury. He's fine. I, I think for him to go from top five to winning, I think he's got to beat Ohio State. I really think that's what it comes down yeah, to. He needs that Heisman moment. That's I, I think we're in agreement there. They need Hard he, to get that in the Big 12, too. In, exactly. In, in the Big 12, Joe, it's hard to get a Heisman moment because you don't have any defenses. And I think savvy Heisman voters look at that and say, well, a lot of quarterbacks put up 35, 40 touchdowns in the Big 12. And I think that hurts a lot of the candidacies in the conference. But you have that big non-conference game against arguably the best defensive line, maybe the best front seven in college football. Do it there. And Baker Mayfield's going to be very tough to beat. Well, I agree with you there because it's a top-heavy conference. We have Oklahoma State. We have Oklahoma. We have West Virginia. Who do we have after that? Do we do Baylor? You can make a case for as a middle seven and five. Maybe team? TCU. But is TCU yeah, elite? TCU. Or I don't see. I and mean, we'll get into no. TCU and Kenny no. Hill. I mean, a little bit later in the show, but. And that's my point. Mm-hmm. I mean, where where's the Heisman moment? He's going to have to beat Ohio State, but I like them over Ohio, Ohio State and JT Barrett. And I'll go right there. JT Barrett at twelve to one. Rich, I picked them at eight and four. I got killed, and I'm still sticking to it. I do not think that Ohio State is going to be an elite team. My reasons for this are they lose 26, uh, excuse me, 19 of the team's 26 receiving touchdowns with Noah Brown, Samuels, and Wilson moving on to the NFL. You have a new offensive coordinator. Those secondary starters of Connolly, Hooker, and Lattimore are going to be huge for that defense, along with Raquan McMillan. I know they have Lewis. They have Bose on the defensive line, but they lose Luke Fickle as well. I think they're in serious trouble. I really think this team is 8-4 and four overall, and I'm not sold on the consistency of J.T. Barrett as a quarterback. 
We're going to be like an old married couple this morning, Joe, because I think couple. we're going to fight for like three hours. That's perfect. I think it's just the way it's <laughs> I would rather be uh, Jack, Jack Klugman, by the way, Got, if, if uh, we're going to go the odd couple. Uh, I was going to – Listen, I, 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 I disagree with you, man. I, 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 Ohio State was, if not the youngest, amongst the youngest teams in the country last year. Youngest in the country. All of those freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores that were used last season, most of them are back. I know some kids left early for the NFL. But Urban Meyer with young talent, another recruiting class, another class from 2015 to get a year older. Talent is not the problem in Columbus. Those guys went to the playoffs last year as one of the youngest teams in the country. Now, I know it's getting a lot of hype this offseason, Joe, maybe too much hype. But I think JT Barrett with Ryan Day as the quarterback's coach, with Kevin Wilson as the offensive coordinator, one of the best offensive minds in college football, I think you'll start to see a little bit more of the quarterback who finished fifth in the Heisman when he was a redshirt freshman. That offense will be more potent. So I have no problems with the talent. I just think the pedigree at Ohio State, to me, I think they have no more than one loss this season. I would be shocked, shocked. If they're eight and four. This well, I, I think a lot of people are going to be shocked. I'll say that. I mean, uh, you could look at what the Vegas had put them last year in terms of win totals. It was at eight and a half. They overexceeded expectations. It's Urban Meyer. All he does is coach up talent. They were 11 and two, and they got bombed by a very good Clemson offense and defense that really exploited them from a speed perspective. I think when you look at this Ohio State defense overall, front seven, yes, they're solid. But the secondary, especially when you have three new starters in the early part of the year, that's where you have problems as a defense, Rich. You have to understand coverage. You have to understand formations. And you have to communicate. And until you can get that cohesiveness as a unit... It's very difficult to find, and now when you plug in three new starters, they're going to have to face Lego with Indiana and Nick Westbrook, along with Simi Cobbs if he plays in that matchup. Not an easy game in Bloomington. And then Baker Mayfield in that offense, where Lincoln Riley is going to utilize formations. That's what I look at for this team. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, listen, scheduling-wise, I agree with you. I'd rather, if if I'm Urban Meyer, I'd rather see that September 16th and 23rd game against Army and UNLV in the first two rather than Indiana and Oklahoma from a secondary standpoint. But you know what? Denzel Ward, yeah, he's not a returning starter, but he kind of is. I mean, he's going to be off to the NFL after this season. Kendall Sheffield, the junior college transfer, began his career at Alabama. They have no shortage of talent. It might take a little while. But I think if they get through those first two weeks, Joe, they'll be fine in a second. We're just getting heated up. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll be continuing the conversation of Heisman Trophy 2017. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34. Continuing the the conversation of 2017 Heisman Trophy, we left off talking a little Jared Stidham, JT Barrett. We're going to continue with Lamar Jackson, Rich. <clears throat> Defending Heisman Trophy winner started out very quickly, 51 total touchdowns last year, but the team in the back end of the year really fell apart. This was a team that struggled against Houston, struggled against LSU, finished at 9-4, and four. 
He's a 10-to-1 favorite to win again, but I think in order to do that, this team needs to win the ACC. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, when it comes to Heisman, a lot of times it, it it's all based on expectations. It's where the bar is set in the preseason. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is the reigning champion, so the bar is very high. And for him to be, you know, that... That is really hallowed ground to discuss Archie Griffin and two-time Heisman winners, Archie being the only one to ever have done it. For Heisman voters to catapult Lamar into that category, he's going to have to be extraordinary, especially since I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse, Joe, based on how Lamar Jackson finished last season, end of the regular season, bowl game against LSU. Uh, Deshaun Watson, the way he finished his uh, regular season and and obviously the playoffs. I think if voters could have a do-over, it would be Deshaun Watson and not Lamar Jackson. Keeping that in mind heading into 2017, anything short of an ACC title, I don't think there's any amount of highlight reel moments or statistics that he can ring up, Joe, to vault him into the Heisman, uh, into Heisman winning again, unless they win the ACC title. See, we're not fighting anymore. I'm in agreement with you here. I agree with you 100. percent Only in terms a matter of, of time, my friend. Lamar it Jackson. Is only a matter of time before the gloves come off. Exactly. Probably our number two there. But I, I will say this about Lamar <laughs> Jackson: He does lose his top three leading wide receivers. Former quarterback Reggie Bonifant now moves over to the wide receiver position. So that quarterback to wide receiver relationship throughout the season, we have to see how that plays out. But offensive line is another concern. Over the last couple of years, he's been one of the most sacked quarterbacks in college football. 46 total sacks last year. Two years ago, it was 44. And when you think about his athleticism and mobility, really shows an inconsistent quarterback in terms of his reads and progressions when defenses keep him in the pocket. Yeah, some of those sacks clearly go on the shoulders, as you know, someone who knows the sport as, as well as you do, Joe. Some of those sacks go on young quarterbacks. Uh, his ability to feel the pocket, feel the pressure, know when to throw the ball away, know when to escape. He's a great athlete, but some of those sacks fall on his shoulders. Having said that, don't like the offensive line. Not really sure where the great wide receiver talent comes from. And beyond just winning the ACC title, which I don't think will happen, he also has to make a quantum leap as a pocket passer. He's going to have those huge moments outside the pocket. We know he is an amazing athlete, but he's got to become an amazing quarterback as well, not just in terms of Heisman talk, but also for the fortunes of Louisville this season. Yeah, he needs to distribute the football to his playmakers the way Deshaun Watson did last year. And that's when I think when you look at these both of these quarterbacks in terms of them taking their game to the next level, that's why I felt Deshaun Watson was the best overall quarterback. And you see now what he's doing in Houston. So I agree with you, Rich. And, I, and Bobby Petrino as well, what comes with him in terms of his tenure as a head coach, lot, not a liked head coach overall in terms of the the game uh you know opponents they do not really like Bobby Petrino and that situation with Wake Forest didn't help last year so we'll see how it plays out uh when we come back we'll be talking about some Big Ten players we'll be talking about Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley for Penn State Joe Lisi Rich Sermonello Fantasy Sports Radio Network